The Old Testament reading is from Nehemiah 8. And uh, in Nehemiah 8, uh, the Persians have let Jews from Babylon come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. And it's kind of a new, fresh start. It's not perfect. They still consider themselves to be under the thumb of slave owners. That's what they think of the Persians. But it's a good situation that they're back home and that they're about to rebuild the temple. And I'm going to stop in the middle of this. So this Nehemiah 8, there are certain texts of Scripture that uh, like focus your mind, that you go back to when you sense that maybe you're drifting away from what, you, what you're supposed to be doing. And this text is one of those for me that I go back to as a reminder of what I'm supposed to be doing. And when we get to the specific spot that does that for me, I'll point it out to you. So Nehemiah 8. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And this is the text for me. Like, if if I'm ever thinking, like, okay, so how can I preach a really fantastic sermon, or something along those lines, uh, or I'm ever, if I ever get discontented with the sermons that I have been preaching, this text reminds me that the main point of a sermon is just this. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The epistle reading, which is also the sermon text for this morning. 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, you, O Christ. Christ. Can I do something uh, kind of strange real quick? Uh, I'm going to preach two sermons, and the first one is only going to be one minute long. But if you could, if you could look at the gospel reading with, with me real quick, I want to point out uh, what Jesus is saying here. So he finds in Isaiah 61 this text which in verse 18 starts, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So Isaiah is saying that. Everybody knows that Isaiah is not who this is talking about. Not that the spirit of the Lord isn't on Isaiah, but this is talking about a certain person who has the title, the anointed one. The the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. There's a Hebrew word behind the word anointed there. It's the word Messiah. Right. So the Messiah is going to come, the Messiah one is going to come and proclaim, and the word behind good news is actually the word gospel. So there's lots of discussion in the synagogue back in Isaiah's day, back in Jesus' day. You would read a text like this and you would say, okay, the Spirit of the Lord is upon this guy because 
the Spirit of the Lord has messiahed him to preach the gospel. Who is this going to be? How will we know when this person or group of people shows up, the, one who, the ones who have been messiahed? Jesus reads this text from Isaiah 61, and then he sits down and he says something that no rabbi would ever say, and that is, instead of like starting a discussion about who will this be, he says, today this reading is fulfilled in your hearing. It's, an, it's, a, remarkable, it's a remarkable claim that he's actually fulfilling scripture. Anyway, okay, that's not really a sermon, but I wanted to talk about Isaiah 61 for a second. Okay, go, go to 1 Corinthians 12. This is what we really want to do today. Following on from the text from last week, where we talked about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. I mean, the question that, that we might have about the Holy Spirit is, like, how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Should you feel the Holy Spirit? Honestly, if you look at the Holy Spirit and, and the way he works in Scripture, Sometimes you feel, sometimes it's a visceral experience, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's not. You don't feel anything at all. Uh, so you can't really, I'm not saying that it's bad to feel the Holy Spirit. I, I want you to actually feel the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. What I'm saying though is that those times won't always be there. So how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? And the answer in 1 Corinthians 12 is twofold. One answer is on this side of your life. And the other answer is on this side of your life. One's coming in the front door and one's coming in the back door. And let, let me explain what I mean. So if you ask me, how do you know that you're in the Miller family? I'll say, well, there's, you know, there's two ways and they both work together. On the front end, you either, you know, there was, there was a marriage at one point in 1998. Angel and I get married and that starts a family. If you're a part of that marriage, which is me, me and Angel, right? Or you were born into it on the front end. That's, that's how you know you're in the family. On the back end, just in your practical day-to-day life, do you live at my house? Do we eat meals together frequently? Do we share our income together? Things like that. So there's a front end, how you got in. There's a back end, what does it look like once you're in? And that's kind of similar to the, the answer that Paul has here in 1 Corinthians 12 about knowing that you're experiencing the Holy Spirit. There's the front end, which look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. He means Christ. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. So you're baptized into one body, which is Christ. That's the front end. Are you connected to Jesus? If you are, you have the Holy Spirit. Or to put it in words from the reading from last week, a couple verses before this. You can't, you can't confess that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Do you make and live the confession that Jesus is Lord? If you do, you're experiencing the Holy Spirit. It's your identity. It's who you are. You've been, you've been united to Jesus. That's the front end. Now, the back end is what we're going to talk about in the rest of the text. Are you living life in the community of the Spirit? Do you live in His house? Do you share income, emotions, Thoughts, actions with the family of God. That's the next sign, and it goes together with the first one. It goes together with the confession of faith in Jesus, with being united to Christ in your baptism, having faith in Jesus. It goes together. But that's the second half is what we're going to talk about today. So, uh, look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one, we're going to read down through verse 20. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would, that would not make it any less a part of the body, because if the whole body were an eye, that would just be weird, but also where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So being a part of the body of Christ, in other words, experiencing the reality of the Holy Spirit, means being a part of a community. So far, that's what we talked about last week. But I want to extend this by making the point, some of the points that Paul makes here, which is this. You discover what it means to be a part of the life of God. You experience the power of the Holy Spirit within the diversity that is this body, the body of Jesus Christ. You experience the Holy Spirit with all kinds of different people. Some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are elbows. You can't actually know Jesus without being a part of that. This is a fancy way, Paul's fancy logical way, and he does it because he's actually got some practical stuff he wants to do to us. This is a kind of a fancy way of saying there's no such thing as the Lone Ranger Christian, right? That postmodern dream where I can be a Christian, I can believe in Jesus, but I don't really need to connect with anybody. I don't really need to be involved in the life of the church. I can just kind of do it on my own is actually a myth. It's not real. And I'm not telling you that if you're living your life like that, which of course you guys are here this morning, so at least part of you understands that you need to be belong to, at least to some extent, a community. But not saying that you're not related to God or that you're not going to heaven when you die. What I'm saying is you're not experiencing the fullness of the power of God if you're not living in the life of God, if you're not a part of the body of Christ. You're just a hand, like crawling around, a disembodied hand, crawling around by itself, which is not only creepy, but extremely unuseful. It's extremely unuseful. You live with your strengths, and that's it. This this lends itself, of course, to gross amounts of pride. You also live with your weaknesses, and that's it. And that, of course, leads to gross amounts of shame, which, in fact, is the way we frequently look. It's a weird mixture of pride and shame. And the body is designed for you to experience the thing that crushes all pride and lifts all shame, and that is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And when you start to become involved in the community of Jesus Christ, you start to experience what it is to belong to God, to belong to the power of the Holy Spirit, because we share in each other's diversity. There's two kinds of diversity that's mentioned here. One is, uh, actually three kinds if you want to break it down. In verse 13, to go back to verse 13, there is uh, ethnic diversity. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. In, in Paul's worldview, that's everybody, except for the barbarians. The Jews are the people he knows who worship the creator God of the Old Testament. The Greeks are everybody else who almost all of them speak Greek. Whatever part of the world they're from, almost everybody speaks Greek. All these have been bound into one. There There are no more ethnic barriers. Also socioeconomic, that's the next one, right? There's no slaves or free. We're all baptized into one body. Same sort of argument that he makes at the end of Galatians 3. That difference... Paul is not saying that there's no such thing as rich rich and poor people. He's not saying that there's no such thing as ethnicity. There are Jewish people. There are Greek people or Greek-speaking people. 
But in Christ, all that diversity comes together to make one body. The diversity is, is important. It is absolutely bad news that everybody needs to become Jewish or Italian or middle class in order to participate in the body of Christ. The good news is that any ethnicity, any socioeconomic level can participate fully in the family of God and should. That diversity is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Some people are hands, some people are eyes, some people are noses, etc. The other kind of diversity is the diversity of gifts, which he talks about in verse 21 and following. We're not going to read that again right now, but we'll come back to it in a second. Different people have different strengths. There are different things that different people in the church are good at. Now, think about, think about in your mind the reasons that we leave churches. There are good reasons to leave a church. Right? They're not preaching the gospel, of course, is a, the most important one. But think about the reasons that we leave churches, because we don't get along with so-and-so, we don't like so-and-so. Sometimes it's maybe as noble-sounding as like, well, they don't have very good youth ministry, so we're going to leave. And what we do is we take a particular weakness, you know, such-and-such is kind of an obnoxious person, or this ministry over here is kind of weak, and we turn that in a reason to separate Think about all the churches that, I was looking at a church, uh, church's website this week, and uh, I was just reminded again that uh, about these churches that have like the contemporary service and then the traditional service, right? Because people who worship with traditional music, like they're just not going to go to contemporary service. And if you make them all worship at contemporary service, they'll leave the church. Because I can't worship, I can't worship with those instruments. And if you have a service where it's just the organ and you're singing old hymns, the people who like contemporary service are like, I can't go to, I'm gonna, I gotta go to a different church. I, I don't, I just don't like the music at that church. Instead of seeing the differences between us, the gifting that God has given you, the pr- particular personality that goes along with whatever, your socioeconomic level, your ethnicity, your background, your certain, whatever, the predispositions that you were born with to certain tastes. Instead of seeing that, as this wonderfully rich thing that we can bring together. And of course, it's awkward sometimes. Sometimes the ear wishes it was an eye. Sometimes the ear gets so ticked off at the eye or so disenfranchised with the eye that it wished that it could cut itself off and kind of bounce around over here. But actually, the body works better when the contempo people and the judicio people come together and worship together. Use their diversity as a way to serve each other, not as a way to to, to divorce from each other, Look, you don't like that we don't have a very good kids program. And by the way, we do. Uh, so Eric Robinson and, and Jen and Angela, don't get mad at me. We, we do. But let's say, let's say that you don't like the, the, the kids program. You see that weakness as a strength. The diversity is an extremely rich way. Look, again, leaving churches because you don't like the style of music or because the, the certain program that you don't care for, because you're angry at somebody else. This is just an, an extended second level way of saying, I'm a Lone Ranger Christian. I'm doing this on my own. Me, and if I can find a group of people that are just like me. right? Well, uh, I was going to talk for for a minute about, and I will, I'll say something about this. Like, If you look around, it will be hard for you to escape the fact that we are all extremely white. Well, of course, white people don't like to worship with black people. And black people don't worship like to worship with white people. And so we say things like, well, this is just good. Our worship's different, and so it's appropriate. No, it's actually extremely inappropriate. 
It's extremely damaging to the body of Christ to say, I can't worship with people who aren't like me. If you will look around and notice, you will notice that almost all of us, I'll say 95% of us, are from the exact same socioeconomic class. Why is this? Because we have decided, me too, me too. I'm not saying, I am not judging any individual. I'm saying me too. We're extremely comfortable with all ears. Let's just say that I'm an ear. I like that you guys are ears. Let's have a church made up of ears. We're great at hearing. We're great at being white, middle-class Lutherans. And that's good. White, middle-class Lutherans are, are a gift by God to this world for its sanctification. But think about how much more powerful we could be if we were way more pulling in other parts of the body. It'd be nice if we had some feet that we could walk around town with. It'd be nice if we had a mouth that could preach. It'd be nice if we had some eyes that could see people who had needs. Let's embrace this. That sounds sounds almost like a cliche, to embrace this diversity within the body of Christ. This is what I'm saying. Let's belong to each other. Okay, so the... the, um, you, you, the, the Christ body is made up of different gifts. And so being a part of that is to experience spiritual gifts, the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm saying is, this is the payoff of this section here for Paul, is that you find your spiritual gift in community. You find your spiritual gift in diversity. You don't find, to quote from last week's sermon, you don't find your spiritual gift by taking a Cosmo quiz on what is your spiritual gift. You find your spiritual gift by belonging to a group of people who are completely different than you. And that group of people realizes, you know what? We need an ear. This person is an ear. That's how you find your spiritual gift in relationship. All right. But, and also, when this happens, when there is diversity, I've heard stories of some of you extending the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to others of you in the room with whom you've had past differences or struggles, that's awkward, that's painful. I know that it would be just just so much easier to go somewhere else and avoid contact with that person. But what you have done is you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. You've experienced the power of God in ways that you never would have if you just hung out with people that you always got along with or that you shared gifts with. Let's extend this a little bit farther. Starting at verse... uh, um, uh, 24, let's say, I'm sorry, let's start at verse uh, 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So we should have gone back to verse 21 even. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. This is what we've been talking about. There's this impulse to say to the parts of the body that you don't really connect with or that you wish that you didn't connect with or that you don't understand or that make you uncomfortable. There's this impulse Paul recognizes to say to that part of the body, I don't really need you. I'm going to go find another church. Or maybe you should find another church if you don't really fit in here. That's an impulse that we all have, to run from stuff that makes us uncomfortable. So uh, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those, so the weaker parts of the body are the ones that need the most help. They are not less important because they're weak. They actually need more love. They need more help from the other parts of the body that are strong. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. The parts of our body that we don't want anybody else to see, we actually work harder to take care of them and to cover them up. 
to keep them safe. To be modest is the word he uses here. Instead of taking the less presentable parts of the body and figuring out a way to sort of edge them out so that they're not really a part anymore, to take the weaker parts and say, you know what? It actually, we would be stronger if that person just wasn't here. To figure out a way to lovingly care for and provide for, connect with that person, to show them the love of Jesus Christ, to make them stronger. Weakness does not mean less important. Weakness actually means more important, right? In other words, if you find the Holy Spirit in community, here's the extension in this section. If the the power of the Holy Spirit happens in community, the power of the Holy Spirit happens in community in brokenness. The gifts, of the, 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 the gifts of the Holy Spirit is given to the body are meant to support the weaker ones. Some of you are stomachs, and you need to be fed. And the mouth's job is to chew up food and send it to you. The hand's job is to lift food to the mouth and send it to you. If the stomach's not fed and it gets weaker, you don't amputate the stomach. The mouth and the hand need to do their job better. And when that happens, I'm just playing around with Paul's analogy here, but his main point is this. When that happens, the body of Christ is finally working together the way it's supposed to. And you are actually beginning to experience what it means to be spirit-filled, connected to Jesus in a powerful way where his body can move around Glen Carbon and do what his body did 2,000 years ago in Galilee and in Jerusalem, only here now in Glen Carbon. We'll start to experience that power. Do you see what this means? Like if, if I, if I try to act like I don't have any needs, let, let's say I'm a stomach, which I actually is probably a pretty good analogy. Let's say I'm a stomach and I, I need food, but I'm too ashamed because I, I want to, I want you guys to think I'm a good Christian. And so I'm, a t- I'm too ashamed to let you into the fact that I need fed really bad. And I walk around here because I, I, I can see people who are fed and I know what they look like. And so I walk around here, you know, and Angela walks in, and I've, I've got my arm around her, and my, my cute little kid's in tow, and I sing the hymns, and I read scripture verses, and I stand up here and preach. And everybody's like, man, that guy is a good Christian, man. And I never tell you or let you into my life, a life of absolute hunger. You won't know that I need to be fed. See, my pride, the insistence that I got everything together, that I'm good to go Lutheran, That pride is going to cut me off from the gifts that you have, those of you who are mouths and hands and eyes and brains and tongues. I'm cutting myself off from your gifts, and I'm starving myself to death. Some of you are backs, and you're really, really super itchy, but you won't say anything. And if you did, the hand could come along and itch you, and you would feel a lot better. But we all come in here, we're all like, all dressed up and like perfect and we're all so ashamed. Had a, had a good discussion in adult Bible study last Sunday about how hard it is talking about community groups. By the way, community groups is a, is a great place to learn this. Being with other people and having to pray out loud for other people's brokenness. It's hard to tell people in a group, I'm struggling with this sin or I'm struggling with this aspect of brokenness, a certain sickness or a loneliness or a depression that you're going through. But when you do, you will find that the body of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, comes rushing to meet your needs. That's the only way that we're going to get off the gurney right here, body of Christ is laying on at this moment, and get up and start moving around and doing the work of the body of Christ. See, see what's happening? Your weakness, my weakness, by the power of the gospel, 
exposed to people for the purpose of prayer, for the purpose of support, for the purpose of being open so that you can see forgiveness working in my life, creates a space where the Holy Spirit can use you guys to meet that need in my life. And when he does, the gospel actually is real and working. Do you want to experience God? Do you want to know what it means to experience the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit? Come with your brokenness. Come with your emptiness. Come with your sinfulness to the body of Christ. And let the rest of us minister the gifts of the Holy Spirit to you. Amen.